Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What do you all think about when you're here in church? Where does your mind wander? What do you, what do you think about when you're here? One of my beloved favorite writers, Kurt Vonnegut, once said, and I think this was a particular reminder for preachers, uh, people don't come to church to hear preachments. People come to church because they want space to daydream about God. People come to church because they want to be able to daydream about God. I've always loved that quote uh, for a number of reasons. One, I feel like it frees me, it gets me off the hook of having to produce a homiletical miracle every single week. Uh, but I also love it because it allows us to turn to wonder and imagination. Basically, it allows us to daydream about who God is. What is God like? Why does God do what God does? What, in fact, is God doing at the moment? So for me, as a preacher, I, I get people like you in the sanctuary. And what I want to do, I want to get you thinking, dreaming, imagining about God. And all the classes you take in seminary about preaching, all the books you read after seminary about preaching, they all say the same thing. When you stand up here and you have people listening, you have to start where your hearers are. You have to begin with something the congregation knows, something they care about, something they understand, before you move on to something new or something unfamiliar. In short, you're supposed to start by telling a story. A story that reaches people where they are, that gives them a hint of the gospel that will be expanded upon later in the service. You need to give them a hint of the good news. And the good news is good because it is news. That is, it's something that's not self-derived. It's not something that we can look inside and find it on our own. It's news because it has to come to us from somebody else. It has to come to us as a story. It has to come to us as news. Which why I think in the end, preaching, as easy as it might seem, is so weird. Just totally bizarre and confounding. Because preaching is not stringing together you know, probable answers to all of your questions. It's not producing tips about how you can each be the best version of yourselves. It's not even to tell you how the world works. Preaching instead says there's a new world, and we don't even have the minds to sufficiently think inside of that new world. Which means whenever you start to feel confused in church, it means the preaching has started. Jesus loved to confuse people. Love to speak in parables, half rhymes, leaving people scratching their heads without an assurance of what he was really trying to say. The proclamation of the word. It's what Paul does. Paul arrives in Athens. Athens is where all the thinkers are, where all the thinkers come from. The, the likes of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. We call them philosophers. It's a university town filled with university professors who know everything they already need to know. And that's where Paul goes to preach. And he does what any good tourist would do. He takes in the sights and the sounds of the city. He walks around. What does he see? It's a city of stones. Particular stones, religious stones. We call them idols. They've got a god for everything in Athens. There's a shrine to the god of water, of wind and wealth. There's a god for 401k management and your Roth IRA. There's a god for sports betting and the sports draft app. There's a god for get-rich-quick schemes. There's a god for safe travel. There's a god for easy sleep. There's even a god that will help produce agreeable in-laws. They got a god for everything in Athens. In fact, there are so many gods 
that they even have one called the unknown God just to cover all their bases, just in case they forgot one last God, they've got one more. The unknown God. And when Paul comes across this unknown God, he finds his connection. Like any good preacher, he stumbles onto an event that helps him incarnate the word again. He stands to speak in the Areopagus where all the learned people are in Athens. He begins to do what all classically trained orators do. He butters up his audience. He starts with a compliment. You all are the most beautiful congregation I've ever seen on a Sunday morning. The smiling, handsome, beautiful faces out there. Paul says, you know, I've been around the Mediterranean a time or two, and I have never met people as religious as you. I mean, you've got, you've got the spirit in this town. I, I've been tripping over all your gods all day. I mean, this is really something special. You've got it figured out here in Athens. You are the most religious people I've ever met in my life. And you can feel the people sort of like growing an inch taller with pride. They're hearing this outsider compliment their religiosity. Paul is God's international gospel globetrotter. The first theologian, the greatest preacher this side of Jesus Christ. And he's got the people right where he wants them. He's buttered them up. They're hanging on every word. And now he's going to build his bridge. He says, I even noticed while I was walking around your town, this altar you had, this sign to the unknown God. And would you believe it? I know who that God is. Everyone is wrapped with attention. He said, listen, the God who made the world and everything in it, the God who made you just as you are, the Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in all these stones that you've got surrounding your city. The Lord is not served by your trinkets and your offerings as if the Lord needed anything from us. Do you not see that we are the ones in need? And wonder of wonders, the Lord gives. The Lord gives donut holes in church on Sunday morning. The Lord gives life to things that do not exist. One of your own poets even said this, in whom we live and move and have our being. That's the God. And you shouldn't think of God like gold or, or silver or stone, anything made by our hands. God's the one who makes us. And for a long time, God has been fine with our ignorance, our grasping in the dark, our worshiping every different version of religion that there's ever been. But now God has brought the end of religion. The time has come to turn to the one who was raised from the dead. His name is Jesus, the Christ. And bless their little Athenian hearts. They were eating it up. They loved everything Paul said until he said the word resurrection. That's a line they cannot cross. Some begin to mock him. All right, let's get this straight, Pauly. You, you say you know the God who created everything and he can bring the life? He can bring the dead back to life? Give me a break. You're telling us that the Lord of all creation has given us everything we ever need and we don't have to do anything except accept it? That's too good to be true. And they begin to mock him. Some others who heard him, they kind of like what he has to say. They treat him like a court jester. They say, hey, Paul, why don't you come back tomorrow? Tell us some more stories about this Jesus. We'd love to hear some more stories about him tomorrow. And some, some believe. It's only a few, but a few believe. Why? Why do only a few believe? Why does Paul go through the ridicule? Why does any preacher get up on Sunday and preach? Well, because the gospel demands it. The gospel demands it. Paul will later write to the church in Rome that faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes from the preaching of Christ. It's a story that when it's told, it has the power to change everything. And it changed everything for Paul. 
Last week in worship, we were hearing about the stoning of Stephen. Paul is there when it happens. He sort of grants the authority for this thing to happen. He becomes the great persecutor of the church. And now he's the great preacher of the church. How does that happen? Well, the gospel happens. He goes from the stoning of Stephen to being in a city surrounded by stones. And he begins to preach. He is compelled to preach in order to set people free, just like he had been free from his own understanding of religion. It's the end of... Of religion. I know it's a really strange thing to hear and even a weird way to put it, but Christianity isn't a religion. At least it's not supposed to be. A religion properly understood is a set of habits, creeds, practices that you do in order to get the divine to do something for you in return. Basically, if you do X, then your God will do Y in return. But that's not how Christianity works. Christianity is good news. It's something told to us about what is already finished. Christianity frees us from all the shoulds, all the musts, that we might turn to the Lord who first turned to us in Jesus Christ. And it's not even that the Athenians are worshiping the wrong gods. It's how they're worshiping them. They're laying all these trinkets, all these wares, all these sacrifices at all these different idols, idols of their own creation, hoping that these gods will do the thing they want. Bless our little hearts, we still do this kind of thing all the time. We have our own gods. We don't have an altar in our backyard to the god of wealth, but we all worship our retirement portfolios like it's a god. We don't have an altar at the end of the block for fame, but we all stress and worry about social media as if it has more power over lives than it really does. We don't bow down at the altar of health, but we consume beauty magazines in the hope that somehow after reading a beauty magazine, we'll start looking like the models in the beauty magazine. It's another way to think about it. It's the difference between an institution and a movement. That's what Paul's preaching about. Institutions are fine. There are a lot of things that we have that we wouldn't have were it not for an institution. But institutions exist in order to preserve themselves. Again, think about beauty magazines for a second. If beauty magazines made us beautiful, then we would no longer have need of them. But do you know what beauty magazines do? They make us feel ugly. And then we buy more beauty magazines because we're caught up in what they're trying to do, what they're trying to sell. That's not what Christianity is. It's not an institution. It's a movement. Movements are generated by a feeling or a passion that sets people toward an unknowability. We do not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. It's an adventure. Institutions are always stuck in the past. Movements are focused on the future. Institutions are boring. Movements are exciting. What Paul says to the Athenians, what Paul is saying even to us today, is that everything that every religion ever tried and failed to do is already done and finished once for all by Jesus. His death, his resurrection, it has finished everything we need. He stands in Athens with this desperate plea to free the Athenians from their bondage to control. Because it is, it's about control. When we're told, if you do this, this thing will happen, we believe that we have control over our lives, which means those things actually have control over our lives. Our wealth, our society, our understanding of media, all those things, they control us. Paul stands up and says, look, I'm not here for the religion business. He says, I'm in the storytelling business. I'm in the gospel proclamation business. I'm not here to bring you all the bad news that once you finally get your act together, God will love you. 
He says, no, I'm here to tell you some news, some very good news, that God already loves you. While we were sinners, Christ dies for us. And only a few believe. I think it's always been that way. Faith is a gift. It's not something that we can be persuaded toward. It's not something that we can read about in a book, and then all of a sudden when we close the book, we have it. If it were that easy... Paul would have been far more successful and every church would be filled to the brim on Sunday morning. Faith is only something we can be told about. And, wonder of wonders, it's something that encounters us. It's what happened to Paul. He stands in the Areopagus because of what Jesus had done to his life. He wasn't convinced of the faith because he read about it in a book. He was convinced of it because Jesus showed up in his life. And said, you've done everything to deserve and earn the exact opposite of what I'm going to give you, Paul. I'm going to give you grace, even though you've done nothing for it. So Paul can stand and he can proclaim the good news because Jesus Christ changed his life and he wanted to change the lives of other people. That's what grace does. It has this knack for reorienting everything. And grace surrounds us. It beats on our lives constantly. We are all recipients of things we do not deserve, just like Paul. And when we begin to know the power of amazing grace that comes precisely because we can't do anything to deserve it or earn it, but simply because we need it, then we can't help but want to share it with other people. Christianity is weird. It's strange. It's bewildering and confounding. It's the universal proclamation of salvation, and yet we at times, we turn it into this bad news of a proposition of the salvation of some. Whenever our faith becomes something that we have to earn or deserve, then it cannot be called the gospel. It cannot be good news, because that's actually bad news. Think of Jesus. Gone all over Galilee, preaching, teaching, healing, loving the last, least, lost, little, and even the dead. In Acts, the apostles go all over the known world, Preaching about Jesus. And they preach about him to everybody. Poor widows, rich merchants, military officers, militant zealots, to jailers and sailors and even tailors. Even in Athens. Among all the most learned people in the world. Among the philosophers. The message is always the same. The end of religion has come. Grace is yours for the taking. So take it. It really is that good. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.